0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Casual Chat podcast. My name is Andrew Liu, and I'm joined by my co host Hong, where we break down technical topics and recent events in a manner such that you, the casual listener, can understand its fundamental concepts and make use of them in your daily life. Let's dive right in.
1: This article is from Anantech. AMD demonstrates stacked 3D V-cache technology, 192 megabytes at 2 terabytes per second. The background for this is that we know that AMD as a company has been dominating the chip market recently over Intel. Dr. Lisa Su has apparently taken AMD onto this massive turnaround, and this is one of their most exciting announcements recently. So what is 3D NAND, or what is NAND to even begin with? On this very low level NAND, I think which is a NOT-AND gate, is one of the easiest gates to make with the fewest transistors. Although it is easiest, you can build more complex gates on top of it, and it really serves as one of the atomic building structures for a lot of our modern compute. You may also know that when chip manufacturers goes to make technology progress, they usually tend to shrink the size of the transistors there's lots of reasons for why you might want that. Not only you get more power efficiency, but you can easily imagine a scenario where if you can fit lots of transistors together, you overall can fit more transistors within that chip. Hence, we see more law of exponential growth in compute. One of the difficulty when it comes to chip design is this idea of floor planning. And I don't mean this in the way of physical floor planning, you know, shops. I mean this as in, you know, how the gates are laid out on the silicons themselves. On a very basic level, what they do is that they actually laser these transistors onto the silicon and then layer additional materials on top. And what this essentially means is that all chips are pseudo 2D. They have some layering on the silicons, but the transistors are laid out in a 2D structure and this part is usually designed by humans, but what's commonly referred to as floor planning. What this then means is that there's only so much transistors you can fit within a surface area. What AMD has demonstrated here is that they can now stack transistors in three dimensions. They haven't yet done this in their main compute complex or like the CPU, but they did this in one of the cache that is currently used in the CPU. This is a very exciting instrumental technology that AMD has been pursuing apparently very aggressively. We are expecting to see this technology to appear in consumer grade chips as soon as the end of the year.
0: That's pretty neat. I've heard that Moore's law may not actually scale to a certain degree. How do you feel about that? Because this does seem like this surpasses one of the physical limitations that we've once assumed for transistors.
1: Of course, I'm no expert in chip designers, but given what I know, one of the big contribution when it comes to increasing the number of transistors has been the shrinking die size or the shrinking transistor size itself. There is a fundamental physical limit as to how small transistors can be. Fundamentally, transistors work because it provides an insulation barrier as to where the electron resides. And as the size of the transistor decreases, the likelihood of quantum tunneling is way more likely. And it's very easy for transistors to jump between these different volumes. And if they jump too frequently, your transistor stops to work, right? So there is a fundamental limit as to how small your transistors can be. Um, but of course, the size of transistors is not the only things that determines how many transistors you can fit within a chip. The 3D NAND technology would be one of the things that overcomes or at least one of the instrumental technologies that us a little bit further.
0: So I guess to explain how microchip innovations have been happening throughout the past, we start with the most inefficient chips with particularly large transistors. And then throughout time, if I'm understanding correctly, people have tried to make them smaller and smaller Mm -hmm. such that you can fit more transistors on a CPU or any type of chip. We've come to the point in time where it's getting hard to make the transistor smaller just because of the limitations that you've mentioned earlier. And as a result, we are looking into stacking the transistors in 3D, just because historically we've been trying to stack them in 2D on a chip. Mm -hmm. And so if we can add another layer of transistors, that's basically almost like double the effectiveness of sorts. Does that sound about right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. and. You know, of course, 3D NAND is not the only manufacturing technologies that's able to fit transistors more efficiently. It is not a new technology either. You can already buy SSDs with this particular 3D NAND technology that is readily available.
0: So is this just 3D NAND is new on CPUs? Yes. Or I guess it's the first time 3D NAND has been used at scale.
1: In a consumer grade CPU.
0: I see. Is there a reason that 3D NAND has been used on SSDs historically, but not CPUs?
1: Yeah. So my current understanding here is that there is a thermal limitation when it comes to 3D NAND. CPU naturally generates more heat. And if you layer different NAND gates on top of each other, the heat dissipates very differently within the lower layers. SSDs forever um, have a very different heat profile. And I would expect that's one of the fundamental reasons as to why here we're using 3d NAND in Vcache and not 3d NAND in the compute complex.
0: I see. So 3d NAND is easier to have whenever there's low activity. So I guess in a hard drive, it's particularly low activity and thus it's probably at a lower temperature but then the CPU is always running and then that will generate a lot of heat.
1: Yeah, so when's the last time you put a heat sink on your SSD, right?
0: Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. As a software person, it's easy to not think about the hardware limitations or external hardware factors because say your logic is perfect, but then there's always this uh, pesky thing called hardware difficulties (laughs) and then that always gets you. Yeah, so the real world is complicated, even though sometimes theory is simple.
1: Yeah, and this is especially prominent for people in our position, which are software programmers, right? Um, We tend to think on a very synthetic level. We think about if statements. We think about control loops. Um, We don't necessarily think about the lower level instructions that happens. We don't think about how a compiler works turning synthetic programming languages into instructions that can be executed on CPU. And we rarely think about how CPU operates.
0: In the meantime, do you know what Intel has been up to? My understanding of the market share is that Intel used to almost have a monopoly. And as of recently, they've been going downhill such that AMD is poised to become the new Intel of sorts.
1: Just to put things into perspective, Intel is a much, much, much bigger company than AMD. What we usually perceive are the consumer side of the chip business, but most of the market is within the business side of things. My understanding is that Intel is a much larger provider when it comes to business chips. They are still very healthy and remains in a very competitive position, even though their technology is currently not as competitive. Historically, Intel have used this tech talk strategy, which seems to work really well for them.
0: It's like they make a new innovation for every other iteration. Yeah. So they make a new innovation and then they refine that innovation and -hmm. then they make a new innovation again.
1: When they refer to TikTok in chip design, I think they particularly are particularly referring to die shrink. So two generations of Intel CPU would usually be on the same die size. So it'd be 40 nanometers, would be perhaps Sandy Bridge, don't quote me on that. But then the next generation would still be on the 40 nanometers, but with better design and better chip efficiency, the generation after that would be a die shrink. The generation after that would be an improvement on efficiency. However, they have been stuck on the same die size for a very long time and have not made progress, even though they have been promising progress for a very long time. Definitely seems like they're struggling when it comes to the tech side in the recent years. Overall, as a consumer, this is all very great news. There used to be a time not long ago where AMD was not competitive at all, and the generation improvement on Intel CPUs were very minimal because they had no competitions. So the new recent innovations from AMD is great news for us as customers and consumers because it really invigorates not only the value proposition for a lot of these chips, but also drives innovations on both parties.
0: Yeah, that's definitely true. Like if Intel doesn't want AMD to eat their lunch, they'd better step up their game. Is there anything else that we want to talk about for the CPUs?
1: Uh, Yes. So I also have another news on a very similar theme. Okay. So this particular article is from The Verge. Google is using AI to design its next generation of AI chips more quickly than humans can. Although this only just broke the news recently, the research has been out for a while. The chip here that we're talking particularly, unfortunately, isn't one of the chips that you can buy as a consumer. It is TPU-6, which is designed and owned by Google. TPU is Tensor Processing Unit. If you're familiar with machine learning, you've definitely heard of this. It is one of the chip that you can use if you were to use Google's cloud service. And fundamentally, it helps to accelerate the training of your machine learning models?
0: So from a hardware perspective, I've known that CPUs are strictly inferior to GPUs just because GPUs on a hardware level were optimized for lots of operations that are common in applications such as um, crypto mining and machine learning. Mm -hmm. Basically anything that's kind of graphics related, it's really good at. I am curious, How is the TPU difference? I'm guessing the TPU is superior to a GPU if you were to choose between the two. What does the TPU do differently from the GPU?
1: That's a very interesting question. So if we were to just move this analogy a little bit and compare the difference between CPU and GPU, the modern CPUs that you can get would probably maybe have about anything between 6 to 36 cores. However, the modern GPUs that you can get would have anything between 900 to maybe thousands of CUDA cores. These differences in cores are fundamentally different in the task that they do. So GPU has many cores because most of the time, GPU is trying to put pixels on your screen. It does lots of very inexpensive tasks, but many of these tasks can be effectively paralleled. Hence the increase in the number of cores, but perhaps a decrease in the air power of the cores.
0: I see. A CUDA core is not a real core, is it?
1: Oh, what is a real core, Andrew?
0: That is fair. I suppose for certain CPUs, virtual cores are not actual real cores either.
1: Mm -hmm. But I think fundamentally, these are just a unit of compute that's designed for very different things, right? The things that you run on CPU are very general, but the things you run on GPU on CUDA needs to be very specified the things you run on GPU is very specific. And you can think of TPUs as a more extreme version of this, where there is no way that you can run operating system very efficiently on a TPU, but it's designed to be very good at one thing in particular, and that's tensor operations.
0: So I'm guessing the instruction sets are pretty geared towards matrix multiplication and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And like with the GPU, it has a lot of virtual cores of some type that can do a lot of simple things in parallel
1: right yeah and if you were to design a chip for only one specific purpose not only you can you know really optimize the instructions but you can also optimize for other things like power cost effectiveness mm-hmm. and in the amd example perhaps you don't need as much v cache perhaps you need more v cache in order to optimize everything effectively and you would only be able to do that if you do have this vertical integration of being the largest company in the world and being able to design your own chips.
0: Going back to Google's machine learning algorithm to generate AI chips, Mm -hmm. I suppose this is probably them trying to solve the problem of where to stack transistors in a physical chip. Would that be right?
1: Yeah. So we've just talked about floor planning. The task of floor planning is usually done by experts are usually Mm -hmm. done with some help with the compute. So usually you would provide some constraint. You, as an expert, know how things should be laid out specifically, but of course you can't lay out like 2 billion transistors. So you would have some discrete optimization solver that helps you to lay out that floor plan. What Google have done is that using a reinforcement learning algorithm, they can do this automatically using a machine learning model and optimize for the power efficiency and i think in this particular case for wire length and they've shown that uh, by using this method they can do floor planning within cpu much more effectively than their current workflow
0: that does make sense because just chip design in general does seem like a very well-defined problem you either did a good job or you did a bad job and it's just there are too many possibilities for a human to try out, such that you have to be more intelligent about it.
1: Right. And of course, you know we're still very far away from a machine learning model being able to do design a complete CPU end-to-end without the help. But it is interesting that here, the model is designing a compute unit, ultimately, for itself. Hmm. And we've reached not a closed loop, but definitely a loop where, you know, if you can create something that can create things better than you, you've ended up in this acceleration loop. You can easily imagine a scenario where the next generation of TPU means that you can build much larger models to improve better floor plan. That better floor plan is then used to manufacture the next generation of TPU after that which is used to train models and then goes on, the acceleration of progress then would explode. That's very unlikely, of course, given that um, there are lots of other limitation factors at play here, but it is very, very scary.
0: I don't know if scary is the right word, maybe more exciting. It's not like these uh, (laughs) bots will eventually turn against us and kill us.
1: That's what they want you to think, Andrew
0: that is true. Maybe (laughs) maybe they figured that out. Um, They're playing the long game.
1: Yeah.
0: It's pretty neat just seeing the amount of hardware innovation that's been going on. I Mm. guess it's a shame that it's so difficult to buy (laughs) hardware right now.
1: Yeah, indeed. Hey, maybe the next generation of models can help us deal with scalpers better.
0: I don't think there are any US laws against scalping, actually. Mm -hmm. which is why they seem pretty prevalent, at least nowadays. I think the UK actually does have anti-scalping laws. So I don't know if it's... I mean, I don't think you can get a GPU still, but (laughs) I don't think people will be scalping random collectibles in the UK.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, It's interesting the fact that, you know, maybe we have backstops to help with the situation. But nevertheless, I still can't afford the GPU. And you can easily imagine a scenario where, you know, if a backstop does exist in the UK and does not exist in the US, there'll be some kind of GPU arbitrage that happens between the two countries, right? Nvidia would send, not necessarily Nvidia, but Gigabyte would send GPUs to the US and not in the UK.
0: Yeah, that's true one country enforcing scalper laws is kind of pointless because it's a global market at least for computer hardware maybe for other things that are localized that changes and anti-scalping laws become reasonably effective Mm. but yeah it's like if you have international companies they will just be naturally incentivized to commit some arbitrage Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't blame them. It's just natural game theory. Yeah. Oh, well, it is what it is. But uh, scalpers are annoying.